back to the Reading Cafe, the podcast from Holy Cross High School that aims to get people talking about reading. This episode of the Reading Cafe podcast is part two of our author interview with comic book legend and president of the Netflix Miller World division, Mark Miller. And let me tell you, it's a good one. We've heard Mark talk about how difficult it is to take a holiday when you love your job too much as a comic writer to stop working. His love of writing his own characters after donning the capes of Superman and all the other biggest characters in the Marvel and DC universes. And of course, his devotion to the old and young of Cope Bridge as part of his Miller World Foundation charity work. In this episode, we're talking about the journey of his stories from print to the pictures and his opinion about the current health of the superhero cinema, as well as the role of comics in representation of cultural diversity. And some controversial opinions about graphic novels in schools. Avid readers assemble! Enjoy the second part of our Reading Cafe interview with Mark Miller. So, obviously you're talking about how you do like to take risks, and I've been reading up about the comic kind of thing, and there's a kind of I did the shift in the comic book world from just like the traditional superhero comics to a bit more like more with humour and more with horror. So do you think that's quite good in making it more accessible for lots of different readers? Definitely. I mean, do you guys read manga? I can't say I have. No, because it's really weird. Like manga has like become a whole new thing. And that's not, not the kind of thing I do, but but I, I love the fact that people are just getting into new stuff. Like my my middle daughter. She's 11 and she is obsessed with manga. You know, she, she's always got her nose in a wee manga book. And, um, but that would have been unthinkable when I was growing up. Japanese comics on sale in Glasgow or, you know, this, this stuff never made it really over to the West. Um, but when I was growing up, it was just superhero comics. And now you get, like I say, Japanese comics, you get horror comics, war comics, romance comics, anything you can think of. Which is great as a writer because it means you can try loads of different new things. Yeah, there's like a wider margin to fill as such. Yeah. Um, and we spoke earlier about artists and things like mm-hmm. that. So I just was wanting to point out um, the artwork that we have um, up on the the board back here was done by some of our own students. So by Amy Lindsay, who asked the a question earlier, and by Gemma Kelly. Oh, awesome. yeah. So yeah, so I think all these ones round the sides here are drawn by them too. That's amazing. I genuinely thought those were cut out of comics because I can see Batman, <laughs> Spider-Man. But that's really good. That's great. Oh, they've done a great job. More talented than anything we can do. I can't even draw to save my life. <laughs> so talking about like adaptations um, and from like the comic books to the movies. So yeah. how important do you think the accuracy in the book to movie adaptations is? And do you think that it's better to make changes in order to translate it to the screen? I think it's a case by case basis. Like some things are better to make changes with, I think. Um, like, what's a good example? Like Kingsman, for example. Colin Firth's character in Kingsman, I had as the uncle of Exe, and he was a guy who'd gone off and made a success of himself and comes back to help his nephew. But it actually, I think, worked better in the film where they came from two entirely different backgrounds. Um, and and there was a bit more like My Fair Lady, you know, somebody who came from a posh background and somebody who came from a poor background. Yeah. It kind of works better. Mm-hmm. Um, but then sometimes I think with the Marvel movies, what made them work is because these characters have been sort of loved for 60 years, there's a reason for that. And if you deviate from that, then sometimes you miss what makes audiences like these things in the first place. Yeah. Like all the, they were making Marvel stuff in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and it wasn't working. They really were trying hard and they were terrible. And what they were doing was they weren't being true to the source material. They were trying to do their own thing with it. And then they hit on the idea in 1999, what if we actually start just doing it like the books? And it actually worked brilliantly. It's worked really well. And I mean, the last couple of years, they've been a bit ropey. 
but that's because they've actually deviated from the books and they're trying to do their own thing with it now, which is mostly junk, you know. <laughs> so, whereas the stuff they were doing for twenty years was really cracking, it was really good. Yeah. And obviously, with you having worked for Marvel and you obviously worked on like the Ultimates and these comics and like the Civil War ones, which have come to be movies, Marvel yeah. relies quite heavily, especially recently, on like their big CGI screens. Do you yeah. think, as opposed to like using the large scale sets, do you think that results in like a lot of authenticity? Like, do you think it was better having the big sets as opposed to like like an end game, like your final battle scene, which is just all like a green screen CGI? Do you think we're losing something by using them? Um, I think it's actually not even the the effects um, or the CGI. I think it's actually too much action. Like, um, I, I rewatched the first Iron Man recently, and I was talking to a pal about this yesterday in the pub, and we were we were saying that. You watch the first Iron Man again, and it's really, it's about real people. Like Tony Stark feels like a real person. Everybody feels kind of real. And then by the time you get to Avengers Endgame, it looks like a video game. So yeah. you're 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 really invested in it when it's people that you can recognize as, as regular people. But when it's just animated things, you might as well be watching the Pixar movie. Yeah, I think as well, like for, for us, I know me and Emma are big fans of the Captain America type movies. Mm -hmm. And I think as well, like you say, like they're like at the start like it goes more action as you go through it and then you kind of yeah. lose the the storyline and you're just kind of and it's like as opposed to like little bits of tension it's tension the whole way through and you just i think yeah. i would agree to say that it was some of it is slightly lost yeah because you've got to care about the characters the spectacle only works if you care so i think that like, the first captain america worked well i think you know the, the bits i remember i can remember almost nothing from the last one you know whereas um i can remember so much from the first one you know like when he's the wee guy who jumps on top of the grenade to stop it blowing up all of his friends and everything. Yeah. Just these little moments are really human. Um, and fighting the bully in the alley and all that kind of stuff, you know? So I think that the uh, the thing that makes Marvel work is the character stuff and the spectacle. The, the more you rely on it, I think the less audiences like it. Plus it costs a lot of money, like all those effects. I mean, this is a, this is an inside baseball thing here, right? It's a secret, but they tell, Marvel say the movies cost 250 million. But those Avengers movies I know cost 500 million each, and a lot of that is effects. Um, uh, so you, you don't need to. Iron Man cost a third of that, cost a third of that, and it was a better movie, I think. Yeah, it's definitely more popular. Like, even as such, I know, like, for um, me and Emma, like, during lockdown and stuff like that, yeah. we got really into um, most of the Marvel stuff, but now, you know, you're on to like phase. Is it five? Phase four yeah, or five? Um, um, and there's like a lot more projects and stuff like that, but I actually haven't, we've not watched many of them. It might be due to like busy schedules and stuff like that, but there's also like the, the degree of it, like there's so much happening at, at once and there's like there's so many characters to keep up with that you're not really forming yeah. as many like bonds with them because it's just, it's like constant action and they're just constantly releasing projects. Do you think that's yeah. a bit of a problem they've got just now? Well, it's a huge problem and it's also caused them huge problems as well because like um, the last seven Marvel movies have averaged on, you know, the tickets uh, sold have brought in on average 720 million, right? Which sounds a lot, that sounds a lot, but they cost an awful lot to make, right? Mm -hmm. But the 720 million on average is what the last seven movies made. But the previous six movies on average was 1.5 billion. So they've, they've, more, than, they've more than halved, more yeah. than halved uh -huh. in terms of box office. So people are getting fed up. And it's also like, like, it's like anything, if you get too much of it, you get sick of it. Yeah. So Marvel were very strict. They would always do two or three movies a year. And then Fox, another studio, would maybe bring out one every year or two, you know? So you never really had more than three to four Marvel-related movies out in any given year. 
-hmm. And now there's at least one project a month, yeah. which is insane. It's totally insane. So, and it, but I only watch one show a year, especially right. So I've I've missed I've missed everything. So I mean, I don't know. But Star Wars is the same. I mean, they're flooding the market with Star Wars stuff, and everybody loves Baby Yoda, right? But like, but everything else is just like junk, isn't it? You know. So I just don't even bother watching. So Marvel, I think. I don't know what what have you watched since Endgame? What have you actually watched since? Oh, we watched uh, WandaVision. Right. Um, and I know I went on to watch Hawkeye, but I don't think you got quite that far, no. I got halfway through it and then just kind of stopped. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think I've watched it. I've not even been to see um, the new Black Panther film, which I keep on yeah. meaning to see, actually, but... I, yeah, it's on Disney Plus, I think, guys. Yeah, I know, which is probably part of the problem, like you say, with Star Wars as well. Like, both industries, yeah. or both franchises, sorry, have been um, sold to Disney and, and then have, like, mass <laughs> productions. So that's yes. probably, would you say that's probably part of the problem? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's like, I mean, I love dairy milk, right? But if I had dairy milk for breakfast, lunch and dinner, I'd vomit in the evening. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's what's happening, you know? So I think, I mean, imagine there was two Marvel movies a year or three a year and no TV shows. Mm -hmm. And you would, you would be standing outside the cinema again. I, I think exactly. they've also made a few miscalculations as well. Like, what people don't understand is like, those first 20 years of Marvel, all the storylines were from classic comic books, so they were adapting really great stories from comics, usually written by Stan Lee as well, you know, so Stan was great at coming up with these characters. And the ones that are done now are kind of like the less good stuff in Marvel Comics, it's stuff that was created 20 years later or whatever, so it's less classic. And um, and I just don't think it's translating because it's less good material. So it's a shame, I, I, I mean, I was, like I say, pals and I were talking about it yesterday, and I don't know if they can fix it. I'm not sure because I think audiences are a bit like, well, Endgame kind of felt like the end. Yeah. In a weird way, didn't it? And St Stan Lee died that year and Tony Stark dies in the movie and all that. And it just, it feels like that's the Marvel period. It finishes in 2019, which yeah. is great for guys like us because I'm like, okay, now we move in and we'll capitalize on this. You know? <laughs> so we were just wondering, we know that you had a, a big influence in um, writing the Civil War and you wrote the Civil War comic book but we were yeah. wondering if you were Team Cap or Team Iron Man. Oh, um, actually the big argument was should superheroes be paid for agents of the government or should they be freelance guys kicking about? You know, that was the big argument in, in Civil War and it's actually quite a good argument because if you think about it, these kids are strong enough to push over buildings and all that, right? So the fact that they can just wear a mask and they could be anyone, you know, they could be some psycho, you know, that's just at a prison or something. Yes. It's a bit weird that you just let them run about the city and do what they want and fight each other and everything. So I, and Tony Stark was saying that, Tony Stark was like, this is nuts. We need to get these guys under control and like the police, we should have them on some kind of register or something. But as Captain America is like, whoa, you know, I, I like their freedom and all that kind of stuff, you know? So, so I think I'd be team out. I think, I think yeah. as well the fighting in it proves exactly what the point was like they all ended yes. up fighting in, like in the airport and everything they were destroying all the public property which is exactly yeah. the argument that was being made oh if, if, if superheroes existed in real life you would want them locked up you know or you would you would certainly want them carrying badges uh so that you knew who they were and everything i think they should they would be registered for sure so yeah i'm, I'm team, team iron man all the way I would, I have to disagree to be quite honest with you, I think I'm Team Captain America purely because I'm a big Wanda fan and I think the, the, um, the way that they, that she was treated especially in the, in the movie, I just can't, I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't cope with that. You know, the, the comic book Wanda was my first crush when I was a little kid, see when, really? I was five, when I was five I remember just thinking she was the most beautiful character, I remember thinking <laughs> so, so what year are you guys in? 
sixth year. Yeah, so are you last. taking it easy this year? Did you have all the hard work last year or are you still got hard work Well, this year? we probably should, could have taken it slightly easier this year. But, I think it's um, been all the hard work both years. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I mucked around so much in fifth year that I had to work really hard in sixth year just to get all the stuff that I, I let myself down on in fifth year. It's <laughs> <laughs> you well. It's all right. It's okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what were you guys planning on doing when you leave? Um, well, we're both going to do law, but um, Emma's going to do law and business, and I'm going to do law and English. So. All right, that'd be cool. Like the world of business and just how the industries all work, just I think it's really fascinating and everything. And yeah. You know, talk. Sorry, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, see, whenever you, you're older, the school bell still does make you jump a little bit for about 10, <laughs> for about 10 years, right? Because yeah. I used to live quite near the school that I went to, and every time I passed it, I'd be like, oh my God, I'd think I had a class. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask you now, obviously we've done a bit of reading up and I found that The Ambassadors, your new mm -hmm. book is coming out in the next few days. So, yeah. and obviously reading about it, you're talking about how that's quite a different and unique thing because of different aspects and how you're kind of working that. So mm -hmm. would you just give us a wee brief description of how this is different and kind of a lot different to your other works that you released? Sure, yeah. I mean, what's interesting now is my job has completely changed since 2017. Like what my job used to be was I would just write a story. I would find an artist, I would bring it out as a comic book, and maybe we made it into a movie. I sold the rights uh, to a film company, so that's what happened. We wanted Kick-Ass Kingsman, that stuff, or when I was at Marvel, those things. Um, but what my job is now is I sold the company to Netflix, and Netflix wanted to keep me and Lucy, my wife, on as um, the people who ran the company, but within a bigger company. So we're president and CEO of the Miller World Division within Netflix. And what's great about that is that, you know, maybe every couple of years, somebody would invest 80 million or something in one of my films, right, uh, 90 million. And now what happens is there's hundreds of millions every year that Netflix invests in things, which is great. So it means you can, you know, this year we're going to be shooting four projects, which yeah. is really exciting. So every, instead of every two years, there's maybe four in one year, which is so cool because Netflix are so so rich, you know, it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, so what I do now though, is instead of creating a comic book, I create the movie or I create the television show and then I also do it as a comic book. So it's mm -hmm. kind of the other way around from what it used to be. So inside Netflix, I've created this thing called The Ambassadors as a movie franchise. And the idea of it is something that takes advantage of the fact that Netflix is in every country in the world except four, you know, so it's in 186 countries or something. Um, and what I wanted to do was create characters from the biggest countries that Netflix is appearing in and have them come together as a super team because all the Avengers really are all from America, really, you know, the, the Justice League and everything are very American kind of characters. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have a, a Brazilian superhero? Brazil's got a huge population, you know, and, and, and India's got a billion people, so an Indian superhero um, and, you know, have a, a, a Korean superhero and everybody and actually have no American characters at all, just make it all international. Yeah. So they all get together and the setup of it is like Willy Wonka. It's a girl who figures out how to turn people into superheroes in Korea. And she says, look, I'm going to turn six people around the world into superheroes. I've got the technology to do this. And I want you to write to me and tell me why you deserve it. So it's kind of like Willy Wonka. So it's a global competition. Yeah. And everybody from all over the world, from children to grannies, you know, all want to be superheroes. So they all write in and she picks six of them, you know. So uh, I, I, need, I need both hands for that. <laughs> uh, and that's the book that's out this week. So my plan is it's going to be like a t it's going to be a mo movie franchise, but then it'll spin off into its own television shows and its own unique territories. Okay. So it means Brazilian television will have the Brazil hero. The Korean department can handle a 
a, a Korean superhero. And then they all come together again every time there's a movie, you know. So you build the franchise in television and then make it all come together every three years as a film. So um, I, I want to do a comic book of this too, and that's out this week, out this week. That's amazing, like, because that is a good thing, is like a lot of the superheroes are very American, so like, mm. obviously, yeah, but you've got these countries like India with their billion people, so that's really good, like bringing in all the different cultures, it probably makes yeah. it for more interesting, it's not just your usual storyline of the American superhero as usual, it's quite, it's different, and that sounds really good. Yeah. And I got to do a Scottish one as well. Yeah. Did you find that um, harder than any of your usual work, like creating it, like for it to be a movie, as opposed to just thinking about the comic book? No, no. That's that's what I maybe for the last five and a half years. That's what I've done. So everything yeah. I do now is done as a movie first. Like right, okay. the show we're shooting this summer are, are actually awesome. It's called The Magic Order, and it's kind of Harry Potter for adults. And I created that as a television show. And then I reverse engineered it into a comic book and brought out the comic um, right, okay. four years ago or something. But it's, it's great, you know, it's worked out really, really well. So for me, it's just a story. So I never really kind of think, there's no difference, you know. So what I do as a comic or TV show or a movie is all the same thing anyway. So yeah. it's just what comes out first, really. Yeah, so obviously you've got a lot of exciting things from up like you're talking about with the Magic Order and the Ambassador. So what upcoming project are you most excited for then? Uh, I have a project, I actually see tonight, um, nobody knows this yet, but tonight we're going to announce um, a TV show that I've got coming out in the summer. So this won't be public before tonight, will it? There'll be nothing. No, yet, don't but, be. But, <laughs> okay. So tonight, tonight Netflix, Netflix is doing a big announcement tonight, and it's a, a horror show that I created based on a book that I wrote 19 years ago called American Jesus. And um, that's going to go live tonight, um, showing, I, I don't think there'll be a trailer, but there'll certainly be a poster and some photographs and things. And uh, th that's going to be out this summer, so I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And it's quite a cool idea. It's a, the, the idea that I had was it's a sequel to the Bible. And uh, I like the idea of, you know, Jesus is killed at the end of the New Testament. Yeah. And then the book of Revelation is all about Jesus coming back in the modern times. So the story is about a wee boy who finds out he's Jesus. He's the new kid who's going to save the world. But there's another kid out there who's the Antichrist and they have to face each other at some point. So it's a big, big, dark horror story, you know, so it's kind of follows both their lives as they grow up and then face each other. Are you guys familiar with a movie called The Omen? Have you heard of The Omen? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. If you haven't seen it, I really recommend it. It's brilliant. It was uh, out in 1976. And the idea of that was the story of the Antichrist, you know, so I wanted to do something kind of like this, where it's a wee boy who finds out he's the new Jesus. And basically, the Ar Armageddon, the end of the world, is going to happen when he grows up, and he's the guy who's got to save mankind. Yeah. That's incredibly exciting. Sounding just, I can't imagine being part of this where you've got all these different ideas and everything come out, and just like how casually you're like, "Oh yeah, Netflix are releasing this for me today." <laughs> like that's unbelievable. Well, I, I sat and watched the first episode of it last night. Um, it's in Spanish mostly because uh, the wee boy is hiding in Mexico, so um, so they have to translate every cut for me, and every week they send me a new cut because I've got notes that they have to shave little bits off and tweak little things and everything, but they have to send me it all uh, dubbed, which must drive them crazy because I don't speak Spanish. So like, uh, so I'm, I'm deep, deep in that one just now, but we sh that should all be completely tweaked and finished in a, about a month or two's time and then it'll be out this summer. That's exciting, yeah. Sounds amazing. So what other projects have you got coming out this year? Is it Secret Ambassadors? You've got this one, The Magic Order. Magic Order starts shooting um, towards the end of this year, and it's worked out great. You know, the idea for that is kind of my, my theory was people who grew up loving Harry Potter are now getting quite old. You know, so they're they're hitting middle age. They're certainly adults, 
Um, so I wanted to do something for them because they're a little too old for Harry Potter now. And I thought it'd be cool to do something that was like an, an R-rated, you know, like an adult 18 version of sort of a Harry Potter type yeah, of thing. Uh-huh. Um, so I thought that could be pretty cool. And I wrote, the, I've written four of those books now. I'm going to do five in total. And the, the first one uh, is going to be filmed later this year. It's 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 kind of, it's like a kind of gangster Harry Potter type thing, you know, so it's, it's really dark. I mean, you guys would be terrified of it. You know? <laughs> Yeah, uh-huh. no, well, I mean, I think we don't think anyone's ever too old for Harry Potter over here, but <laughs> I'd definitely be interested in looking at something like that. Um, and so, so do you feel that like working with Netflix has offered you like more freedom with your projects? Would you say? Um, yeah, I mean, they've never held me back, which is great. Like, um, the big worry when you sell your company to anyone is they're going to mess it up mm. and they're going to, um, they're going to restrict what you do, especially like a big Hollywood studio. They're known for being a little cautious and not taking risks and everything. But definitely, so just let me do anything I want, which is great. And I'm, I'm really happy. And I get to bring in any actors or directors or writers or whatever that I want. You know, like no, nobody, nobody's ever really said no to me, uh, which is good. <laughs> Are all of your like um, your TV shows and your movies like released onto Netflix directly on there? Yes, well, they, they they own the company now, so they would yeah. never let it go somewhere else. There's right. still a couple of projects that the, it's called the license. You guys will get all this when you're doing law, you know, but mm-hmm. the license is actually with another studio for seven years. Yeah. So they bought my company, for example, in 2015. And there was a project of mine called Starlight that was over at 20th Century Fox, you know, which is a different studio. Yeah. Um, and they had the rights to make a movie for seven years. And that those rights are up in 18 months time. So I know Fox are going to hurry and make this movie fast before Netflix get the rights back. So one of my friends runs 20th Century Fox and he's he's planning on getting that going at the end of this year too. So it's out before the contract expires. But everything else will be Netflix. And yeah. Kick-Ass and Kingsman, I still own. I didn't sell them to Netflix. So Kick-Ass and Kingsman will still come out in cinemas. They'll come out as uh, movies probably from Universal, I think. Yeah, that's exciting then. And obviously a lot of your work, you're starting off with your comics and everything, and that's kind of where you went. So do you think that schools should teach graphic novels as class texts? And if so, are there no. any you think would be really good? No. <laughs> no, no, no way. You know, I think, I think nice try, any lazy kids. <laughs> Change it up a bit. No, I, I think it's just fun. It's like television and everything, you know, like I, I'm very suspicious of people teaching you how to, to make movies and teaching you how to make TV shows and things or make comic books. I just think it's like, I think you should do it because you love it yourself, you know, like, and, and I think you should read as much, you know, sort of old school literature and everything as you can, you know, because I think some of that stuff is so brilliantly made. I'd hate somebody to not do Shakespeare and do Spider-Man in its place or something. You know, I, I think you're missing out some good Shakespeare there, you know. So I think le- learning like the classics is the best grounding you can get in any education, you know, so. But but in your spare time, watch the Spider-Man movies and all this kind yeah. of thing. And you, I, I, I also think practical experience is really important. So for example, I always say to people who want to work in film, they'll say, oh, what course should I do? And I was like, don't do a course, you know, just go and make a film. Like yeah. Quentin Tarantino um, works in a video shop for five years, I think. And um, he just watched loads of movies and it gave him a, an amazing understanding of film. He analyzed it and he understood what, how a film worked. And, um, and that's what I say to everyone, just go and get practical experience. Either make it yourself on your phone. I mean, we have something as good as a film studio now in our hand, you know, mm-hmm. you, could, you could make a, a movie on your, your phone or go and be a volunteer on a film set. You know, like now there's, Scotland has got two film studios now. 
um, you know, kids could go and, and volunteer and, and uh, just get practical experience, which is so much more useful. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, like, speaking of advice, then, would you, what kind of advice would you give people who were like wanted to write comic books? Would it be the same sort of thing, just to? To to just it. Do it. Yeah. yeah, don't do a course because the guy teaching you the course might not tell you the best advice, you know. I say to everybody, go and look at masters, whatever you're doing, you know, go and check out masters. Like if you're if you're studying medicine, or, or you, you will go and you will learn from people who are good doctors, you know, whereas uh, that won't always be the case if you do a course in a night class or something like that. You know, I, I'll say to people, Find out who's the best people in the world at this in history and read all of that stuff and learn what makes it work and then copy it, you know? And it's the same as music or anything as well. You've just got to go away and do it yourself. Nobody can really teach it in the same way you can learn by trial and error, I think. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Well, I think that's us almost out of time, but I'd just like to thank you so much for your time today. It's yes, been really inspiring uh, talking to you. No, it's been I amazing. I think the kids listen and once it's released as well on the podcast, they're going to find it really useful and exciting. No, and, no I thought, to talk um, to you. and we won't and, tell uh, anyone until until announcement tonight. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that in the down low. And I would tell them to check out my YouTube channel as well. You know, like um, I've got for anybody who's interested in comic books uh, or working in comic books, whatever. I have a YouTube channel called Miller Time. If they type Miller Time into YouTube, they'll be able to see me talking to all the famous comic book creators over the years. You know, so like what what I wanted to do was actually have a big permanent record of all the people I love. The people I loved growing up, or the people who I think are brilliant now. So it's me talking to them for two hours, right? So it's hard going, right? So it's just me asking them questions for two hours. The guys who are masters, uh, and I would recommend that to anyone. It's almost that's like university for comic book guys. So check out Miller Time. It was lovely chatting to you, and good luck with all the releases for this year. Yeah, can't wait to be the ambassador, and can't wait to see everything that's coming yes. out. Uh -huh. All the best. See you soon. Later. Bye. Bye. Well, I don't know about you, but I was definitely surprised to hear that he was Team Iron Man, which, in my opinion, is the wrong choice. I think that was the most controversial thing he said the whole interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I can't believe a book graphic novel's not been taught in school. Yeah, I thought as well that he would be all for that. And I can't believe he told us his exciting news about his top secret Netflix show first. Can't wait to watch it after it's filmed. I know, it's very exciting. As well as this, his graphic novels ambassadors have come out in the last couple of weeks, so make sure you're buying and reading them because I can't wait to do it myself. I think I'm going to be out and buying lots of comics. I really want to read The Ultimates in Civil War. We'd love if you spread the word and left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and keep, keep reading. reading.